Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. In 2005, John Piper came to an event in Nashville, Tennessee for young adults. And um, he preached a sermon there, and I was in the crowd as a college student. And I had solid plans for my future. I had a foolproof 10-year plan to become a millionaire. But as John Piper preached his message, God put his finger on me, and he began speaking to me. I sensed very strongly that God was calling me uh, to preach one day, that he was calling me into vocational ministry. And I sat there, and I wrestled with God, and I wiggled in my seat, and I argued. I talked to God about my plans, this very foolproof plan that I had, and um, all that would be lost if I said yes to him. And, uh, and I also considered my fears. I, uh, in college, I took a public speaking class that I despised, um, that I barely made it through. I can remember having to put Kleenex in my pockets so that during my, my speech, I could put my hands in my pockets and just dry the sweat off of my hands. Um, so I argued with God, I wrestled with Him, and um, yet I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that He was calling me uh, to preach the Bible, and that felt very risky. As I sat in my seat at that conference in Nashville and listened to that sermon, I struggled to say yes to the calling that God was putting on my life. I didn't want to give up the life of prosperity and ease that I had planned for myself. Um, but before the end of the sermon, I had yielded. I'd said yes, and the direction of my life was permanently altered. Um, even though it would be several years before it came to fruition, I began taking steps from that day uh, toward a preaching ministry. And had I not been willing to take that risk, I cannot imagine what all would have been lost. Um, I hope to convince you today that risk is right, that um, when it comes to a walk with the Lord, when it comes to following Jesus, 
And when it comes to fulfilling the mission that he's given us, um, risk is required. And so um, my goal in, in this message today is that a seed of truth would be planted in you um, so that when that little voice in your head that has, has been there for a long time that tells you that risk is wrong uh, pops up, that you would have the truth to stand against it and say, no, if God's calling me to this, risk is right. American culture is extremely risk averse. Um, we tend to engineer our lives in such a way that we avoid as much risk as possible. But what we're going to see today, what we see when we read the Bible, is that risk is part of faith. In fact, many have said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, that it's impossible to, to step out in faith without taking what feels like a great risk. Um, in my early days with the Lord, John Piper did continue to have a profound impact on my life. I, I read a book called Don't Waste Your Life. Some of you have read it. And in that book, Piper used scripture to convince me um, that if I was going to live a life worth living for the kingdom of God, it would mean taking risks. And so I hope to do the same for you today. Let's pray together before we go any further. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this uh, wonderful morning, for this full room, for the babies that have been dedicated to you, Lord, for the baptisms last week, for the things that you are doing, the things that you have done in the life of this church. And Lord, I pray for the things that you now want to do going forward. And, and you will do those things through the people sitting in this room, through our real, everyday, seemingly mundane lives. You will do those things through us as we spend time with you and get to know you and trust you more and pray to you and ask you to do great things and then step out in faith. And you will work. And people who don't know you right now will come to know you and your kingdom will expand and your glory will be put more on display in this place. Lord, we believe it will happen, but we know it will require us. And so we ask, use us, prepare us even today for what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our mission here at New King Church is to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. That is our focus. It's the goal of everything that we do. We want to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. We get that mission directly from the Great Commission that we just heard read in Matthew 28. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then out of that authority, he says to his disciples, now go make disciples of all nations. The first part of our mission statement here is that we want to help people find Jesus. We want to help them find Jesus. We want people who don't 
have a relationship with Jesus to find out about Jesus, about what he has done for them, and turn away from doing life their way to Jesus in trust and to begin to follow him. We want people to find him. In John chapter 1 um, is where we get this language. Andrew, um, who's a disciple of John the Baptist, he finds Jesus. And um, it, it says in, in that chapter that he goes to his brother Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. So Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And then they go and they, they tell Nathaniel the same thing and they introduce Nathaniel to Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to be a church that says, hey, we have found the truth. We've found the Messiah, the Savior, and we want other people to know him. We want to help people find Jesus. And I need to say something very important before I go any further with this sermon. There's some in this room today, some of you here today, you probably know who you are. You still are living under the guilt and shame of your sin because you have not yet turned to Jesus and put your trust in him. And I think that you're here today for a reason. And I think it's because the Lord is after you. I think he's been after you for some time. It didn't start today. And so you found yourself sitting here today, um, and I want to tell you that um, trying to live your life apart from God, it's not, it's not going to go well. That, you know, while the world will tell you that you can be the captain of your own fate, that, that you can run your life your way, if you just look around at the world, it's not hard to see that that's not working. It's not hard to see that we're not good at running our own lives our own way. And not only that, but the Bible says that, that when we live our own way and go our own way, it's called sin and that it's an offense against a very holy God and that one day if we die in that state apart from God, that we'll face his judgment. And friends, I don't want any of you to face that judgment. I want every single one of you to turn to Jesus today and to believe in him. The Bible says that Jesus came for this reason, that he is the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he went to the cross, though he had no sin, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, to absorb the payment for your sin and mine. And then he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave so that anyone who would turn to him in faith to put their trust in him. And trusting him, it looks like turning to him and following him, that's part of it, believing in him, that, that your sins would be forgiven that his payment on the cross would count toward your account. And you could have a relationship with God. You could be reconciled to your creator. I hope that 
many of you will do that today. That's the first thing that's required. If you're going to find Jesus, then you've got to believe the gospel, what I just said. You've got to believe that his, his death on the cross is sufficient for your sins. And you've got to trust him. And that's finding Jesus. But we want to do more than that. We want to help as many people as, as possible follow Jesus after they found him. Right? Because to make disciples, is, it's not just introducing people to who Jesus is. It's also the next part of the Great Commission. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So after we've been introduced to Jesus, we've turned from our doing life our way to Jesus to follow him, that begins a lifelong journey of learning to observe all that he commanded, to live in the ways that he commanded that we live. The Bible, one way that the Bible puts it is that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that word Lord is pretty significant. It means, it means master, ruler. What we're saying when we confess that Jesus is our Lord is that he is to be obeyed, that he's the king of the universe, that what he says goes, that he's a better leader, a better ruler than I am, and so I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do as he says, and that's that's. The process of following Jesus, and um, sometimes we call that discipleship. It's, it's now that I've begun this relationship with Jesus, he's helping me, he's in my life, he's empowering me to do this, but now I'm learning to live in the way that he has commanded us to live. That's our mission. We want to help as many people as possible come into a relationship with Jesus and then grow in that relationship with Jesus and learn to live in light of all the things that he has commanded us. Um, I, what I want to show you now is that in order for us to do that together, it's going to take risk. It's going to take risk. Risk is required and risk is right. When Jesus commissioned his disciples um, and sent them into the world, he sent them knowingly into a world full of danger. This mission that Jesus gave them would cost them dearly, and still Jesus sent them. So if you're a note taker this morning, I want to give you a little outline and um, I feel like before I get into the right kind of risk, I need to explain the wrong kind just so that you're not thinking uh, in, about that the whole time and, and distracted. So my first point is when, when risk is wrong. When risk is wrong. Having said that risk is right, I want to clarify that I don't mean that all risk is always right. Um, because we can take risks in a few wrong ways. The first is that we can think that God is calling us to take all risks all the time. And that's not the case. In the Bible, sometimes God would call Paul to stand up in the face of an angry mob and, and, just, and just 
get stoned. <laughs> I mean, or, or, get, or get arrested and, and, and get whipped. And, and then yet there's other times where he escapes, you know, where God uh, allows him to find out about a plot against his life and he's let, he's, he escapes in the dark of night from that danger. And both of those were right as he was led by the Spirit about what to do. Um, sometimes he, he jumped headlong into risk and other times he avoided it. So I'm not saying that all risk is always right. The second thing is that we can have the wrong motivations in taking risks. Um, God doesn't call us to risk taking so that we can look great, so that we can be heroes. That's not at all what God wants from us. Um, instead, we're supposed to be like little children. We're supposed to be trusting our Father and stepping out and believing that He's got us. This isn't about us looking great, but Him looking great. So we can easily take risks for the wrong reasons to think um, so that others will think that we're brave, or so that even we'll convince ourselves that we're brave. And that's the wrong motive. We can also take risks to try and um, earn God's approval of us. And that's backwards. The Bible says that we have his approval when we believe that what Jesus did for us gets credited to our account and that we have his approval. And then we're able to go and take risks out of that approval. Not so that we can win it from him. And then finally, we can take risks just because we love adventure. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, it would be cool to go to another country. So, and that'd be really interesting. And, and, and there are going to be different kinds of food and different culture. There's nothing wrong with wanting adventure, but that's not the motive or the reason for taking risks that I'm talking about today. So those are a few things that I want to just point out before we get into right risk. So here's my second point when risk is right. All throughout the Bible, we see examples of the people of God stepping out in faith and taking enormous risks in obedience to the Lord. Let me go run through a few. Noah risked his reputation and his finances by taking on a 100-year project to build an ark. Abraham left his homeland in obedience to God's call. And the Bible says he didn't even know where he was going. That's pretty risky. Moses walked right up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and demanded that he let God's people go. Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land to face armies greater and more powerful than them. David walked onto the battlefield to face Goliath in order to defend the honor of the Lord. Esther risked her life in order to rescue God's people from annihilation, and she said, if I perish, I perish. Daniel publicly defied the king's ban on praying to anyone but him, and Daniel faced the lion's den as his consequence. And of course, whatever the Old Testament teaches, the New Testament teaches as well, continues John the Baptist's bold preaching was risky and landed him in prison and ultimately cost him his life. Jesus called many um, to leave behind their careers, their source of income, 
and to follow him, even though they didn't know how he was going to provide for them or their families. But they trusted Jesus and took the risk. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples ahead of him into towns and villages where he was about to go. And he says to them in Luke 10, 3, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That sounds pretty risky. None of these followers knew what awaited them on the mission. And that's what, where risk is, right? It's, it's when we don't know what's going to happen, but we go. If you knew what was going to happen, that's not risk, that's sacrifice. And God might call us to that as well. But risks, the thing that we're talking about today, is when you're not sure how it's all going to ha- play out. You're not sure what's going to happen when you go talk to that person. You're not sure what's going to happen if you take that job. You're not sure what's going to happen if you quit your job to do this other thing. You're not sure what's going to happen if you speak up about your faith, and yet you do it. That's risk. That's risk. Most of you know about the life of Paul, the risks that he embraced to further the gospel and plant churches. But maybe you don't know about one man who risked his life for the Lord, and his name is Epaphroditus. We learn about him in, a, in a Philippians chapter 2. Paul tells the Philippians, Philippians 2, 29 through 30, about, he's talking about Epaphroditus. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus needs to be honored, Paul says, because he risked his life for the work of Christ. Um, Epaphroditus was the guy who brought a gift from the Philippian church to Paul in Rome, in prison. Um, And when Paul finished writing this letter, Epaphroditus is the guy who would take the letter back to the church in Philippi. The average person living in the first century AD never traveled more than 30 miles from their birthplace. The trip from Philippi to Rome was 787 miles and required crossing the Adriatic Sea. Traveling distances like that in those days was extremely risky. They didn't have iPhones yet. They didn't have GPS. They didn't have, they didn't have cars. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have big cruise liners. They didn't have hospitals. They didn't have nice hotels. <laughs> They had to rely on people's hospitality. They had to take great risks to travel a distance like that. And it almost killed Epaphroditus to make that journey, to bring the gift from the Philippian church. Almost killed him. So what does Paul say in response to the risk that Epaphroditus took? Does he say, hey guys, I appreciate your heart, but don't ask somebody to risk their life to bring something to me. Does he, does he say, um, hey, that was, that was so thoughtful, but guys, I mean, this is somebody's life. No. No, he says, Epaphroditus, 
I'm sending you back on that 787-mile journey with a letter. He asked him to risk his life again for the cause of Christ. There was no guarantee that Epaphroditus would make it back. He had no idea what awaited him on the journey to Philippi. Here's what he knew. It almost killed him the first time. And it might kill him the second time. And Epaphroditus said, yeah, sign me up, I'll go. And would we have Philippians in our Bibles today if he hadn't been willing to take that risk? I don't think so. Here's the point of all these examples in the scriptures. Risk is right for the cause of Christ. You cannot follow Jesus or help others to follow Jesus without being willing to step out in faith when you're not exactly sure how it's going to work out. Last week in uh, his sermon, Camden quoted the famous line from a poem by C.T. Studd, Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And Camden added a suggested edit, only what's done with Christ will last. I love that. Um, Risk is right when it's done for Christ, with Christ. And I want to show you that if you walk faithfully with Jesus, he will ask you to walk with him into risks, eyes wide open. And that not to do that will lead you to a wasted life. That brings me to my third point. Never risking is foolish. Never risking is foolish. Today when you get up and leave this room after you've had some great conversations with people at the end of the service and you go get lunch or whatever you're going to do after this, go home, it's going to be really easy to go back to just the normal risk-avoiding life that we're accustomed to. And I think there are two things that will protect us from slipping back into that never taking risks for the kingdom of God way of living. Those two things are, one, a big view of a sovereign God who's worthy of our worship, and two, a healthy fear of the wasted life that would result if we choose to play it safe. Regarding the first, week after week here at New King Church, we seek to preach and to teach in such a way that you would have a big view of a great, big, sovereign God who's worthy of our lives. We also encourage you to read your Bibles yourselves day after day because it will shape your worldview, it will shape the way that you see God. And it's those who know their Bibles who have a big view of a great big God. Secondly, regarding a healthy fear of the wasted life that might result if you choose to play it safe, um, I want to tell you a story from Scripture that I think illustrates this very well. And that is in Numbers 13... The Israelites are fresh out of Egypt. They've been delivered from 
slavery. They've come to Mount Sinai, met God, received the law, and then they've traveled from Sinai to the edge of the promised land that God wanted to give them. But before they went in and took the land, they sent 12 spies in. Some of you know the story. They sent 12 spies in and said, go check things out, get the lay of the land, report back to us what you find. These 12 spies go in, they see a beautiful and fruitful land, they bring back some pretty big grapes. But they also saw intimidating people and armies and fortified cities. They saw some risky things. And even though God had commanded them to take the land, 10 out of the 12 spies returned and said, guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's, it's way too scary over there. Only two guys said, you're looking at this all wrong. God told us that he was going to give us the land. If he's with us, then what's it matter how fortified their cities are? Only Joshua and Caleb believed that God wanted them to take that risk and that he would go with them. And so the ten risk-averse spies cost the nation of Israel dearly that day because the nation of Israel listened to those ten. And they said, you're right. We are not ready for this. In fact, we should probably just go back to Egypt. And the Lord said to them, because of your unbelief, you will not enter into the land. I'll have to give it to your children. And that generation spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, wasting their lives instead of obeying the Lord and taking the land. Playing it safe is not safe when God has commanded you to take a risk in faith. How many people and churches have come right up to the edge of a great move of God and been turned away by the counsel of a few who counseled them and said, guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. How much life has been wasted by never taking risks for the cause of Christ? And that brings me to my fourth and final point, and that is that making disciples requires risk. Making disciples requires risk. I want to give you some real-life examples, some ways that God might call you to take risks, the right kind of risks, in order to further his kingdom. Number one, he will ask you to take relational risks. Every relationship is risky. Anybody who's got any kind of relationships knows that. People are messy. They can fail you. You can fail them. They can hurt you. You can hurt them. Um, But disciples are made in the context of relationships. The commandments of Christ are obeyed in the context of relationships. You can't love your brothers and sisters that you don't have a relationship with. You can't love your neighbor that you don't have a relationship with. You can't obey the 
great commission without taking the risks of relationships. You don't know what will happen if you give your time to that person or if you get close to that person or if you open up to that person. But it's the only way the mission advances. So you have to take those risks. Secondly, making disciples will require that you take reputation risks. What I mean is that it's going to require that you talk to people about your faith. It's going to require that you share with that person at work what you believe or that you invite them to church, that you tell them what God's done in your life, that you open your mouth when it feels scary. Nobody is fearless. There's nobody who has no fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to act in the face of fear. No, there's no one who feels no fear when they, when they think about sharing their faith with somebody. There are only people who say, I feel afraid, but the risk is worth it. And they speak up anyway. Be willing to risk your relationship, to risk your position at work, to risk that promotion, to risk rejection from a family member or from a friend. Thirdly, there are financial risks. Some of us cling to our money as if our happiness depended upon it. We've bought hook, line, and sinker the message of the world that says that we can buy our happiness. But the Lord says you can't serve God and money. And so there are going to be times when God calls you to give sacrificially because the kingdom advances in part when we fund the mission. When we put our money where God's working and we see the kingdom advance. I would say with this one, I... I think beyond our finances, there's the risk of being generous with your time. The risk of serving people, right? I mean, it feels risky to serve in kids. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it feels risky to, to sign up, to be a part of a team. It feels risky to give your time because everybody feels like they don't have enough of it. But it's a risk worth taking, isn't it? We believe it if we stop and think enough. And then finally, there are the, the life direction risks. From time to time, God calls us to take big, life-changing risks for the sake of his kingdom. And that might be that God calls you to move to help plant a church with someone or a career change that frees you up to do more ministry, or you, you might be prompted by God to explore a call to cross-cultural missions. That feels risky. But this, this church wants to be a church. We want to be a church that sends people to the nations with the gospel. That means some of you will have to consider that as a possible call on your life. Each and every one of these big, life-changing decisions will feel incredibly risky. 
God, you want me to start over in another country? Or you want me to you want me to change jobs right now while I'm just getting where I wanted to be? Or you want me to consider a call to vocational ministry? Or you want me to consider starting this ministry, this thing, this dream that you put in my heart? That feels so risky. And no matter how much you pray or how much good counsel you get, it's going to keep feeling risky. And you'll have to eventually just step out in faith and trust him. God doesn't just call individuals to take risks, but churches as well. In the life of New King, we've seen this over and over again, that um, whenever God has required us to step out in faith, take a big risk, and we have seen him come through in incredible ways. Five years ago, when God gave us this property in answer to prayer, it still took tremendous faith to trust him. We had to remodel the whole building in a matter of months. And we didn't know if the space would work out once we actually got in here, but we stepped out in faith, took a risk, and God worked. After five years on this property, we're running out of space again. We're, I don't know if you noticed, the parking lot is beyond full. Um, our average weekly adult attendance was around 140 in July. Our average weekly adult attendance this month is set to be in the 170s. That means every single week there are 30 more adults, and that means more kids, too, that are coming to this church than there were in July. God's growing our church. Praise the Lord. 70% capacity, as a general rule, is, is full capacity. So in here, we have 155 chairs. You can't put 155 people in here. Um, that's, that's, the building can't handle it. So at 70%, it's considered full. We, we've been over that 70% mark for four of the last six Sundays in this first service. Past it. The point, that, that the reason I'm sharing this is to say that we are, we are very close, if not at the maximum, that we can grow on this property. And I believe it means, we all as pastors have been talking about this, believe that it means that God's going to be calling us to take a big step of faith into something new. We don't know what that is yet. And it's going to feel really risky when, when it happens. But he's going to show up just like he always has. And he's going to get the glory for it. There's no avoiding it as individuals. There's no avoiding it as a church. If we want to make disciples, it will mean taking risks. In closing, I want us to think back to our passage in Matthew 28. I want us to put ourselves into the story. Imagine you're one of the disciples standing there on that mountain, and the Lord Jesus has just commanded you to go to the nations with the gospel. What would you do? How would you respond? What level of risk was it that Jesus was asking his disciples to take when he commissioned them to go and make disciples of all nations? In his book, Is the Commission Still Great? Steve Richardson writes, According to church tradition, Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome 
And most of the other disciples endured violent deaths in foreign lands. Andrew preached the gospel in modern-day Turkey, Greece, and the former Soviet Union. Thomas went east to Syria with Matthias and then possibly as far as India. Bartholomew may have joined Thomas in India, then traveled through Armenia, Ethiopia, and southern Arabia. Philip preached in North Africa and Asia Minor. Matthew ministered in Ethiopia, James in Syria, Simon in Persia. Early church history is a little conflicted about all the details, but most historians agree that at least 10, maybe 11 of the disciples suffered awful deaths for preaching the gospel. Let me ask you this. Was the risk they took and ultimately the sacrifice that they made worth it? What would have been the cost had they played it safe? Would you and I have ever heard the good news about Jesus? They could have walked off that mountain that day and decided to ignore the charge that had been given to them. They could have gone back to their old lives, saved their money, fixed up their home, and given their kids a fat inheritance. But instead, they believed risk was right. And so they risked everything. They went to the nations spreading the gospel across the known world and died for the cause of Christ. They didn't waste their lives. Instead, they spent their lives lost their lives, and gained everything that matters in the end. So the question is, how will we respond? Do we want to participate in the Great Commission? Do we want to get to the end of our lives and know that we haven't wasted them? Then we can't play it safe when God's calling us to take risks for the sake of his name. We're going to have to step out in faith when God gives us opportunities. We're going to have to share our faith We're going to have to disciple a friend. We're going to have to go plant a church. We're going to have to take the gospel overseas. The risks are real, but the reward is great. And let me leave you with this. Don't do it begrudgingly. Because God loves a cheerful risker. Jesus went to Gethsemane where he knew he was going to be betrayed, arrested, and killed. Singing a hymn. And Jesus wants friends who are also glad to risk loss because they love him and his glory. So for the joy that is set before you, take risks for the mission that's been given to us to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Oh, you really are worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives. And I pray that every single one of us in this room would see it and believe it. That we would count the cost and go gladly into risk in order to see your kingdom advance. Lord, give us courage. Give us faith to believe that risk is right and use us, Lord, in all the many ways that you want to use us to further your kingdom and bring glory to your name. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.